Hey everybody and welcome to episode 8 of Journey Through Grill Island. I'm your host Sig and joining me is... Barry. Emma. Sarah. And today we'll be covering 88 miles per hour, which took place on the 7th of March 2004 uh, and came from the Elks Lodge in Santa Ana, California, attended by approximately 140 people. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> so my new favourite recurring feature is what arbitrary numbers does Cage Match have listed for, for this, these attendances? Definitely would have said 70. <laughs> it seems like the least, again. Yeah. Problems are mounting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to make it, to be honest. <laughs> so our expert investigator, Emma, did a bit of research and found the press release for this show. So I'll read out the introduction and then we'll get straight into it. Citrus Heights, California. With tensions running high after Taste of Adness, Pro Wrestling Gorilla decided to lighten the mood by bringing in two of the most light-hearted wrestlers on earth, American Dragon and Brad Bradley. <laughs> this is also my first time reading this. <laughs> but to offset the easygoing nature of that match, PWG also decided to book two of the most intense rivals wrestling has ever seen, two men whose hatred burns with the heat of 10,000 suns, Ebisan and Kushin Bokaman. On March 7th at the Santa Ana Elks Lodge, Wrestlers will collide, matches will take place, battles will be won, and limbs will be lost. It's pretty good. Good writer. I assume that's Excalibur's handiwork? It is. Well, it was Silverback, who on the PWG forum, everyone assumed was Excalibur. And like as it goes on, you'll, you will hear Excalibur right. very clearly through right. the words. So the show opens with uh, Hardcore Inc. in the ring, and Hefe uttering his first ever words in PWG, I think, a year in. Yeah, it was very strange just tearing up like because the show started so abruptly, so I actually watched it on DVD as well. So I'd make sure that it was the same as High Spots that yes, it that does the DVD is the exact same, it just starts and you're like, Okay, straight into it then. Now I sort of understand that the Hefe love is ironic. Because he the, is terrible. The promo was so bad. Yeah, yeah. I because because he's also kind of an old fella, oldish. You kind of assume, oh, he's a mainstay. Maybe they love him for that reason. But no, it seems like the fans are just kind of in on a bit, for lack of a better term. Because he was he was so bad. Also, a hardcore kid is quite good on the mic. So why wouldn't he just be on the mic? He doesn't need a mouthpiece. Yeah, for the group that it is. So they now have introduced Adam Pierce. As much as we kind of harp on Pierce. He can cut a promo, like it's obviously really old school, but he can definitely hold himself on the mic. So I was like, what's the purpose of Hefe? And then they bring in Valentina, mm. because who needs a belt when you have a woman? Mood. Wise words. <laughs> uh, keeping up the trend of, of Pierce just being this like so obvious, this giant mark for like old school world champs. Now that he's the champion, he has to come out in a suit. And he has to come out carrying the belt under one arm, doing it as much of an old school shtick as possible. Although he didn't tuck his shirt in, which was distracting me for the duration of this promo. He looked like a geek, to be quite honest. I actually quite like when champions do that. Or they, you know, like evolution, that like when they all got their suits on. And I was like, yeah, I like that. I'm into it. Pierce, no. Because you know he's just like a caricature of a champion rather than really filling that role. Can I just go back to them introducing... Pierce the Hardcore Inc. He was in Hardcore Inc. on PWG's first show. So that's another thing that has happened elsewhere that has been referenced of him leaving and coming back. Yeah. Like originally they were his posse, yeah. all of them. And with Vanderpile, wherever he's gone. 
eating yeah. some oats. So I don't really know what happened there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but how, how it came to be that they were separated to now be reuniting is is a mystery as far as, as, far as these shows are concerned. Yeah. So following Pierce's reintroduction to Hardcore Inc., we get into our first match, and on the press release there are blurbs about each of the matches, so Emma is going to introduce this one for us. Expected to be so formal. I was going to read this shit. <laughs> so the first match is Puma versus Black Tigers, and Silverback has written Black Tigers Jeremy Lopez versus Puma. Recently returning from Safari in Japan, where he hunted the elusive tiger's mask, Jeremy Lopez has come back to the United States in order to capture the majestic Puma. Lopez has spent many months tracking his quarry and has finally tracked Puma to the Los Angeles area. And like any great hunter has even predicted where the mighty beast will be. Fans in the first three rows, consider yourself forewarned. Not only will you be in the proximity of phenomenal professional wrestling, but you will also be near Jeremy Lopez and a loaded elephant rifle, trying to shoot down Puma, one of the fastest men in the sport today. Please bring adequate protection, such as a Kevlar vest or a thick sweater. Yes, the intro is probably more exciting than the match. (laughs) Yes. We had another good match graphic here. Uh, they build it as New Japan versus Osaka Pro. Really dining out on the fact that there is an LA dojo where some of these people have trained for some period of time. So now everything is billed as New Japan versus blank, which I enjoyed. Excalibur and Disco are back on commentary and there's an arm drag exchange in the first two minutes of the match. And that's all I remember of the actual match because of how excitable they got. I think it's really strange. So Puma's obviously been on a lot of these shows now and he always seems to be in the opening match. Like, it was a solid match, but that's the point. Like, there's nothing about his style that really, is, like, gets the crowd going for this show. Like, it doesn't set the tone very well. Um, and that was evident by the reaction, which was none. Yeah, it opened to silence and it ended to silence. It was a very... It was a bad match as an opener. And yes, I don't think it's fair on Puma. I think one thing to point out as well, just kind of before we get deeper into the show, is they're like running this show at Osaka Pro Wrestling for a company very early on. Like they're well established in Japan, at, you know, at this time and and running big shows and in many different venues. So to have that connection so early on, and I know a lot of the PWG guys would then go on to Japan as well and wrestle for Osaka Pro. So that's just kind of really cool to have that, and obviously forming relationships is very important for for PWG. Yeah, it's interesting that they, at this early stage, they they had their first working relationship and with kind of an off-the-wall, I, I would not have predicted that would be the first partner promotion to come over and do a little tour. Black Tigers is a is a weird one. I don't think he was bad by any stretch, but just, again, a, a, a weird choice for an opener with, with Puma and they kind of, they did a very, um, you know, a very straightforward kind of TJ Perkins as of 10 years ago uh, style of match. And I think eventually, I think PWG fans would be more open-minded to that kind of match. I think TJP himself would go on to do that kind of stuff that would be well-received, but this crowd aren't really into it at all. Puma wins this one with a sunset flip. <laughs> <laughs> a finish befitting the match and it was uh, he was countering a move and it looked like he did land on his own head doing it he was countering the Black Tiger bomb and it was one of those ones where you didn't quite tell it was a counter it looked like he got dropped right on his head well done so our next match was Bobby Quant versus Tiger's Mask and the press release uh, introduces this one as follows 
When one of the most promising up-and-comers in professional wrestling comes to PWG and demands a match with another young wrestler from a completely different side of the world, Commissioner Paul T tells them to go fly a kite. <laughs> However, Bobby Quance and Tiger's Mask are both really nice young men and would never make such a demand of PWG or Commissioner Paul T. Therefore, to instill a bit of a mean streak in one or possibly both men, Paul T made this match with one stipulation. The loser must walk home. Why Los Angeles resident, why Los Angeles resident Quance isn't too worried about this Tiger's Mask definitely feels like he has something to prove and we will be giving it all at 88 miles per hour. Uh, Not bad. Not bad, Silverback. I love Tiger's Mask's weird baseball player skin tight uh, Excalibur if he was a Japanese baseball player look. It's quite interesting. The Hanshin Tigers is his baseball team, so their gear. And he seemed to have some form of deal with them. He was a mini mascot type thing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. And he also did some kind of baseball-inspired offense. Like, he was doing, like, uh, swinging in a, in a bat motion and stuff like that. He was pretty good. I, I, I had never heard of either of these guys in, in the first two matches uh, uh, before, but I, I liked uh, Tiger's mask quite a bit. I think he was a bit more seasoned than Black Tiger's. Mm. I think he was in there with someone that could actually go toe-to-toe with them as well. I think, again, we've only seen Bobby Quance before against Danielson. I can't say, oh, well, he's against Brian Danielson. Like, of course, he's he's going to look good. But I think he, again, proved himself here. You know, he really stepped up to the plate against um, Tiger's Mask. So I think, hopefully, we get to see more big things from Bobby Quance throughout PWG. I can't remember when exactly he retires but I'm hoping we get a few more good matches out of him because he's just so talented and you could really get the crowd behind him. Do you know what age he was around then? He wasn't that old. Like, I'd say he was early 20s. Yeah, I think so. He did remind me in this match in particular, kind of like, almost like someone we would see here. He, he, he is just like that raw, super young talent that you know all the locals will rally around because even though he's just, you know, he's got a fairly plain look and his plain gear and you can tell he's still putting it all together, but you, you straight away you can tell that he has he has something and he is a natural. I thought he was, he was really, uh, really entertaining again in this. Um, although he did do, I don't know if, if, if you caught this, almost like a Frodo Osprey style fake out where he came back into the ring and did a little spin kick and a pose. It was very bad. That's actually um, the Quants, not the Osprey. Well, I, evidently, <laughs> no, he, beat him to the, he beat him to the punch, but um, Osprey with a bit more polish, I think. But yeah, he just a weird kind of I'll fake a dive and then stop and then do a little twirly kick and then do a pose on the ground. It was, it was not his best moment, but other than that, yeah, a really good match. Well, Osprey was watching his tapes, guys. He was back when he was eight years old when this when this happened. Excalibur reveals on commentary that he hates the Beastie Boys. I'm really surprised by that. So, he seems like the type that would look like sabotage. You'd get real into it. Fight for your right. Yeah. Hmm. I think he was a big death metal guy. Yeah, but everyone loves the Beastie Boys now. That's what I thought. I was I was very surprised. No, by some this. people hate the Beastie Boys. Why? I know. I don't understand it. Let's. If you're listening and you don't like the Beastie Boys, turn off this podcast <laughs> and never listen to us again. Wow. wow. <laughs> Un- unless you're Excalibur, then thank you, yeah, sir. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for the listen. We love your press releases. <laughs> Halfway through the match, I think it was Excalibur called Bobby Quance Bobby's Quance by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that how they referred to him till the end of the match. <laughs> Tiger's mask and Bobby's quants. <laughs> we finally got to see quants hit his shooting star press. And it was, I think, a beauty. Really nice. Yeah, really nice. And with that, he got the pin. So, how long did it take Tiger's mask to walk home? Some say he never made it. 
Our third match was billed Cuba versus Japan on the graphic, and the press release reads Gurantai, Masada Nasawa versus Havana Pitbulls, Ricky Reyes, and Rocky Romero. In the Democratic People's Republic of Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, all international competitors are required to register with all six bodies of the government from the Department of State, Joey Ryan, to the Department of Agriculture, Scott Loss. <laughs> with that said, it is no surprise that upon registration for 88 miles per hour, the Havana Pitbulls found that they will not receive a title shot, but will face off in a DP or PWG slash United Nations sanctioned match against Gurantai, the team of Japan's Masada and Mexico's Nosawa. Will the winners of this match receive a title shot down the line? Or will evil ministers of state and agriculture plot and scheme their way out of another title defence? What? Another title defence? The way that read, I think it was meant to be the Pitbulls against X Foundation, but I guess because of the Guerrilla Games, the storyline... I I think they're implying that X Foundation are not defending their titles at all. They're just going into matches. Even though it's literally the show after. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can just expose my lack of knowledge at all about Japanese wrestling right off the bat. When I saw this graphic and it said Masada, I thought it was the scruffy deathmatch guy. The CZW guy, yeah, yeah. 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 And I was like, no, Sawa and Masada <laughs> in 2004 PWG? That's right. I think when Masada, Japanese Masada, they would put a Z in his name. Okay. Z. Um, in America sometimes to differentiate. God, he was shit. He, he was, was so bad. bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if you're listening. He doesn't like the Beastie Boys, so he turned he it off. He turned it off. Oh, he definitely loves the Beastie Boys. <laughs> and Nosawa is still a Juggalo champion shit wrestling champion. <laughs> Tons of ICP references early on here. Excalibur goes, I love Shaggy too dope. And... The other one. <laughs> you know the other one. <laughs> what is the other one's name? I was going to ask you, actually, do you, <laughs> you know? know. I, I, I know. Do you know? Oh, no, I used to that. I have no idea. Oh, wow. Am I the only real juggalo in attendance? Why, do you know? Yeah. What is it? Violent J. Yeah, that's oh. it. Yeah. yeah, I might not know my Japanese wrestling, yeah. but let me tell you the lineage is of not, juggalo championship wrestling. Isn't there like a scruffy as well? <laughs> 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 I don't get Masada again. <laughs> oh, that's Scruffy to hype. Yes, of course. Yeah. Scruffy well, to hype. I think there is actually five of them. I only know. I thought there was only two. Oh, There's that's... only two in like WCW and stuff. No, in their actual actually, have you seen the music video with the the mag- fucking magnets? How do they work? It's just two of them. What? No, there's more than two. Well, I know in the, there's lots. Sorry, in... they're a posse. Wait, you can have a posse of two. No, you can't. That's no posse. That's a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> The current members are just Violent J and Shaggy Chudo. And Scruffy. Thank you. <laughs> but the past members are D-Lyrical, Kid Villain, John Kick Jazz, and Greasy. John Kick Jazz is actually an old John man now. He's Kick- really well for <laughs> John Kick Jazz. Okay. I like Greasy. Yeah. <laughs> Easy Greasy. John Kick Jazz should be like the new Johnny Kick Pads. <laughs> So the match? Yes. Ah, fuck the match. (laughs) A fine tag contest is really all I have about it. I thought it was okay. Yeah, the amount of interest the commentators had in it, that they were telling us more about Excalibur's uh, recent move than actually the match itself. Mm. I liked the match. Yes, I thought Rocky was so good. He was great again. And I don't know, am I looking at this with like, because I love Rocky now and I think he's an absolute gem, am I now looking back and seeing a tag team who I thought were fine and now being like 
they were so good. Rocky was so good. I mean, maybe, but I think he does stand out. I don't, yeah. think, I don't, I don't think it's just modernized. I think you could watch this without knowing who these people are and say, that guy, he does have something. Ricky has absolutely no charisma. Yeah, but that's it. Like, yeah. I don't think any higher of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. Um, yeah, so Rocky's kicks in this were great. Mm-hmm. And there was one that I don't know if it was meant to be a head kick, but it was absolutely vicious. <laughs> See, I think I was lucky, so I, um, I forgot to turn commentary off for the majority of this show, because obviously back then the DVDs played without commentary automatically and you have to obviously switch audio tracks I don't know why I'm explaining this so I got really into it and I actually think this was the match that the crowd kind of started to liven up a bit mm. especially you know the crowd hating Ozawa and he's calling people pussies at the start you know being real you know mid 2000s heel um, but and then I figured I'm like actually I actually quite like Ozawa's look mm. and I might start doing my eye makeup like him <laughs> you did miss Disco's pledge do not give it to the poor. Give it to the poor owners of PWG And Rocky has really good chops as well. Yes, I also had that written down exactly. Great offense. Just he's 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 got great strikes. He comes across as a guy who did MMA, or at least trained it in some capacity. Did he? I, I would like, say he did. It seems like he can't live in LA without having done it yeah. at some point. Yeah. And everyone in the LA dojo seems to have yeah. done some sort, which is pretty cool. Yeah, sure. They lived with Leona Machida, so that was weird. So they just hung around all day. <laughs> he probably brought them to gyms, yeah. And made them drink their piss. <laughs> he does that. He drinks his own piss? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. For any benefit? or? Yeah, he claims it's purer than water. Water? Yeah. Well, I thought piss was the exact opposite. Yeah, that it is. It's the toxins yeah. that... Leota, stop drinking your piss. I saw this exact debate happen on an episode of Richard and Judy 15 years ago. <laughs> they had a guy Richard, on who drank his Bear own Grylls. piss. Bear Grylls. No, no, oh. some guy. Not, not a not, not, He was like, <laughs> some doctor who drank his own piss. And, and Richard was like, no, no, surely that's bad for you. That's the stuff your body gets rid of. And, he's like, and your man goes, no, no, it's not. And he t- picked up the glass on the end, just had a swig, and the, the two of them... Anyway, this is not a Richard and Judy podcast, no, unfortunately. I have questions so. about this, Barry. Why are we watching Richard and Judy for I was off sick and yeah. I had no choice okay. but to watch um, you know what were they on UTV I guess yeah. Richard and Judy were oh, um, a married couple who ran no, a ITV. talk show in should we not explain what Richard and Sorry, Judy is it's going on about the channel okay, they were on yeah. <laughs> Richard and Judy were a married couple who had their own talk show about 15 years ago channel is debatable because <laughs> <laughs> um, Barry can't decide which channel it was on oh. they had their own book club but uh, moving on from that. Moving on from that. Apologies for derailing the show. One more question about drinking your own piss. Um, <laughs> if you keep recycling and drinking your piss, does smaller amounts not come out? I'm just okay, never mind. He definitely drinks other things as well, not just exclusively yes, his yes. own piss. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, I'm back. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's one chew going directly from his <laughs> cock into his mouth. Did you have to say cock? <laughs> <laughs> Is Willie. Thank you. Much better. Yeah, I remember he was also. Sorry, this is now Leo to Machida podcast with me, Michael Machida. <laughs> that he was like Anoki's handpicked guy. So when he'd fight in. I think it was Pride, but when he fought in Japan, Anoki would be there and he'd give him the slap before each oh, match. Oh, that's so cool. And he couldn't. He was never allowed to tap out. Oh my Just God. like a young lion, you know, you're not allowed. So he had to pass out and chokes and stuff. Oh, which goodness. a lot of the Japanese fighters do anyway. Anyway, Anokiism was actually mentioned on commentary, so, so that's my yeah, tie Yeah, wow. I don't have anything else about this match. So no. Nope. Uh, Cuban Missile Crisis got the win. Yeah, them. pretty shitty finish because after they hit the Missile Crisis, Masada cut.
comes into the ring completely ignores the pin yeah. and just walks to Romero <laughs> to get put into an iron bar. Yeah. <laughs> Smooth. So we have American Dragon versus Brad Bradley. Imagine this scene. A man riding in his limousine decides that he wants a better view of the city. So he opens the sunroof, sticks his head out and takes in the sights and sounds of Los Angeles at 35 miles per hour. At that very moment... A cloud on stilts is crossing the street on his way to the circus, or possibly a festival, or perhaps even a street fair. Closing in on the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Closing in on the cloud. <laughs> She's gone. Do you want me to take over? <laughs> Oh, a, a non-giggler, here we go. <laughs> Finally, some real journalism. <laughs> Closing in on the clown, the limo, limo driver depresses the brake pedal, only to find that he is unable to stop. The driver lays on the horn, and the clown, startled by the sudden noise, stops dead in his tracks, bends over and looks backward between his leg at the incoming threat. The limo passes under the clown's body. <laughs> The car goes between the stilted legs, but the head of the clown and the head of the limo passenger collide, instantly decapitating both men. As crazy as this sounds, the match between American Dragon and the Midwest's own Brad Bradley will be even crazier. That has Excalibur written all, all over it. So Brad Bradley is Jay Bradley. Mm-hmm. Ryan Braddock? Is that the same guy? Yep. Aiden O'Shea. Aiden O'Shea. Aiden O'Shea. Aiden O'Shea. I only saw that on Cage Watch. I'd never um, heard of him. He's been around for donkey's years. I had no idea he was a New Japan LA Dojo boy. The um, Steel Domain boy. They build this match as New Japan. Uh, what was the graphic? New Japan, Japan Dojo Strong Style. He was yeah. one of A Steel's. Oh, really? Boy. Yeah, he trained with. Now, I, I'm sure. <laughs> based on how they've used. Have you seen what? Come on, and who? Thingy. Thingy. How dare you? <laughs> wow. Based, based on how they've, they've milked the New Japan stuff for the graphics, I'm sure he was there for a. Maybe he was there for a summer or something and not trained from fresh, you know. I was going to say, I'm not surprised looking at him that. Brad Bradley got signed by WWE around this time. Mid-2000s, big boy, doing the high kicks, good body. Mm. But he just had nothing to him, though. I so he's perfect. No, I, I, I enjoyed him in this one. Oh. I enjoyed this match a lot, yeah. Oh, but it's Brian Danielson. And it was, it was a classic big man, little man. Yeah. Danielson would come at him with the speed and he'd hit, like, six or seven chops, six or seven kicks, and then Bradley would just hit one and he'd crumple. Yeah. I thought it was great. I'm with Sarah here. I didn't... <sighs> I just... Yeah... Even the size. Well, yeah, he, yeah, he looked gigantic in that ring. I thought you would have loved no, that. No, he looked really just like plain. And they were wearing the same gear. Yeah, yeah. they were wearing yes. blue yeah, and black. Nice, yeah. Everyone was wearing blue and black on that show. He is a very. And I think that's the story of his of his career. Is he was a big time playing boy who never never got anything extra to make him stand out. I remember I could to this day can't wrap my head around. I remember he had uh, one of those televised tryout matches in TNA when they used to put that on TV and they used to have Taz and other people judge them. Oh, the gut check. The thing. gut check. That yeah. I could not think of the name. He faced Brian Cage, and this was in like 2012 when Brian Cage was he was already a name on the Indies, and they picked Brian. Badly over him and I could not for the life of me figure out why because it was like Brian Cage already had his whole thing put together and he was already doing the machine stuff and Jay Bradley as he was known then he didn't look or act much different than he did on this show he was a guy he was a guy with a little brown haircut and <laughs> his functional wrestling and he was perfectly fine 
uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of a shame because uh, I think he is good, and I well, we might be divided on that, but I thought he was good in this match certainly. But even Excalibur said on commentary that big elbows from Bradley. There's been about a thousand elbows, <laughs> and it was true. He just kept elbowing him. That's a sign of a good worker. Oh, Only a few moves, and he get can get by. Out. Get out. <laughs> How many moves does Ric Flair have? That's what I want to know. He's shite. Oh, let's not. I don't even care. I don't know why I got. I don't care about Ric Flair because you don't like my opinion. Oh yeah. Some. Grace Danielson moment in this one such a small little thing which I think is what makes it a Danielson thing like see he is being the little man he is getting slapped down but at one point early on he does a little like ankle pick from the ground and Bradley kind of topples over like a tree and then he mounts him and he's doing mounted strikes just he's so great he can make anything work with any opponent we said it last time but it's crazy how good he is so young and like so quickly in his career he has to be one of the most consistent wrestlers throughout his entire career yeah Especially not having the drop off in his older kind of banged up years, which he's kind of in now. Like you know, he's obviously got had the wear and tear, but it's not like he's you're looking at him going, oh, he's not he's not what he used to be. Like he's still delivering. This is also like the first time I've seen him pre WWE doing the Daniel Bryan style match, mm-hmm. where he's the underdog fighting from beneath. Yeah, because like Ring of Honor, he was always like the villain, not cheating, but using shortcuts to get his way out of it he was always wily. and he was always better technically so he got them that way it is interesting to see the proto Daniel Bryan I guess we also find out that uh, Disco was at Fall Brawl 93 <laughs> which Excalibur took great pleasure in telling him how old he must be <laughs> that is one of my favourite things about commentary is just the little nuggets that you find out about them and just finding out like they're actually just such huge fans themselves so every time I kind of maybe get a little bit annoyed with them with their drunk commentary or when they're just rambling over a good match, when they're like, just admit to how big fans they are, I'm like, oh no, I relate to this now. I can I can deal with this. Lots of good action though. That's debatable apparently. Anyway, Brian won. Danielson taps out Bradley with Carmella's, Carmella's finish. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen him do that before. It's where you get them in head scissors and you just crank back essentially with your hands on the mat code of silence she calls it I think it is which is actually a very cool name something about it just doesn't look as cool when he does it though because he's a little, little fella so it just so he, doesn't he, when she does it she cranks her leg back yeah. he didn't it was just his legs just his legs so okay. Carmella clearly the superior worker always said it always said it anything else? no because I didn't like the match so after the match uh... So after the match, uh, Danielson gets the mic and proclaims Bradley the toughest man he's faced in PWG and shakes his hand. Shade at Bobby Quantz. <laughs> so going back to the press release for our next match, it's Frankie Kazarian and Baby Slim versus Scrap Iron Adam Pierce and Hardcore Kid. Much like the proposed merger between Comcast and Disney, Frankie Kazarian and Baby Slim decided (laughs) to come together in the face of increased market pressure, the increased market pressure in this case being Hardcore Kid and PWG champion Adam Pearce. (laughs) With the belt in his hands and the new partnership with Hardcore Kid, Adam Pearce is doing all he can to ensure that his title reign will be more successful than Frankie Kazarian's. Without a rematch clause in his contract, Frankie is forced to work his way back into title contention, but because Slim was the last to be eliminated in the four-way match for the title in January, Frankie is not instantly named number one contender. Also attributed to the convoluted nature of the PWG title picture is the position of the moon. Commissioner... <laughs> <laughs> I just really wasn't expecting that. <laughs> the position of the moon, Commissioner Paul T's mood, especially on days where he is forced to go on missions with the other surf ninjas, 
I don't know what the term surf ninja means. I'm just going to keep going past it. And the rulings of the Santa Ana Elks. Therefore, challenges were made, a tag match was signed, and gauntlets were thrown. I do like in the middle of all that insanity that they did try to put logic into the, the title contention picture. And yeah, who, who, yeah. Who, who gets confused with that? I even like yeah. the reference to the Santa Ana Elks. Yeah. A lot of context there. I like that. Put more effort into that release than he did commentating the actual <laughs> match. <laughs> This was among the most annoying 10-minute stretches of audio, I think, so far on the show. Having said that, so, okay, they do it in, like, a Valley Girl, yeah. sort of, oh, with, God. like, vocal fry. Having said that, the most play-by-play they've done for any match... That's so true. Because they were yeah. doing their bit. They didn't have to... Now, they would stop every so often to call Valentina slut and all of that, but... They did a play-by-play commentary. They actually did. Yes. Yeah, I never even noticed that because I was too wound up by it. <laughs> to be fair, it's not like the match was any great. Please be respectful and call it the way it is. You know, the Kaz and the Pierce feud comes off like the coldest thing I've ever seen in any indie ever. They did a Benny Hill spot at one point, and I think some of the fans started to do the music because <laughs> Kaz started laughing before he got back into the ring. It was just <laughs> farcical. I just like someone at the start shouting out that Frankie's the coolest in the world and aggressively he's just like yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) he needs the validation that he's the coolest in the world it was in this match that the the bottom rope gave out Uh, Adam Pearce stood on it (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering when was the final he um, he's on the outside like waiting to be tagged in and he he goes to stand on it and just snaps (laughs) and it's just great because it had to be him as well (laughs) And then Hefe, the consummate professional, started choking out Kaz with the, the rope. The rope, that's yeah. very good. I liked Frankie and Baby Slim's um, little funky tag move together when they were like dancing and then they just did the elbow drop. That sold it for me, five stars. <laughs> so late. <laughs> it was the coolest gangster and the coolest man alive coming together to form a ultimate cool duo. Hardcore Kid was looking good. <laughs> I actually liked his outfit. Yeah, yeah I was right. into it. He's very tanned. Ooh, yeah. He was looking. He was serving looks. I liked it. Pierce was thrown further shade by the commentary when Excalibur asked, When you're champion, aren't you not meant to be good? <laughs> <laughs> good. Fair question. The match itself was fairly shite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slim submitted Pierce. With the million dollar dream, which is the most baffling finish so far. <laughs> yeah, because going off that press release, Baby Slim was ahead of Kaz in the queue anyway. Now he definitely mm. is. This should surely make him number one contender. Mm. But it was Kaz who then gets on the mic after the match to proclaim himself number one contender. He didn't proclaim himself number one contender. He can proclaims up as still being the champion yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as if he was wrong there, yeah. which I guess he was but I don't care and again no. not cool enough to pull that off despite the, the shtick not cool enough to pull it off because the crowd are too busy calling him slurs to actually get behind this idea that he's still the champ or the people's champ or anything along those lines it was bad and then just calling Valentina a slut like for no reason it's like come on it was, yeah, it was bad. And I'm a fan of Kaz. I think mm. I'm the high person on Kaz in this podcast. But even then, I was just like, no, just go to the back. There's also a very awkward exchange where when Kaz is listing that he's still champ, he's the coolest person, Slim's the coolest gangster. He goes, oh, another thing that's true. And Hefe shouts from the side, you're a faggot. 
And that, that, that's acceptable. Kaz's response. I see something in your moustache that comes out of a male's body. It isn't urine, and I don't mean feces. <laughs> it was the most over explanation of anything. And also, feces would have been a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shitty face, Effie. Yeah, yeah. And like, because he's eating ass. Well, it's 2004, you know, so. <laughs> he can't think on his feet no. at all. No. He's so bad on the mic, which, like, completely destroys his coolest man because yeah. he comes across as so lame and uncool. Like, yeah, you called me a faggot. Well, you've got uh, jizz on your face, essentially. Yeah, but three more sentences. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, was the fluid I was referencing earlier, by the way, everyone, in case you didn't get it, it was, in fact, jizz. I'm implying he was doing some sort of blowjob. Okay? Just <laughs> doing so a blowjob. Right. Uh, and also straight, just in case you didn't catch on, I am not actually gay. He's saying that he's being mean. But he is actually gay. I'm also being mean. Pierce eventually wakes up and claims that the submission hold was illegal, grabs the ref, and pile drives him. What a villain. Nefarious. Yeah. Can't wait to see him get his comeuppance. <laughs> All right, folks, here we go. It's the big one. Rebusan versus Hushibo Kamen. In every superheroic relationship, there is a leader and a sidekick. From Batman and Robin to Superman and Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> That's just how it is. However, when it came for time for Japanese crime fighters Kushibo Kamen and Ebisan to make a decision about the nature of their relationship, the men failed to reach acceptable terms and their days as partners were over. For many years now, their battle has raged all over the great continent of Japan. Not right? No. no. Um, from the icy wastes in the far, far north to the arid, 10,000 mile square desert in the south, seemingly no place in Japan was safe from the destruction brought by these powerful forces. Now, not even the peaceful island nation of America can avoid the rampage. Entire cities have been levelled, fields left fallow, and radioactive water left polluted and undrinkable. All in name of figuring out who was the Green Hornet and who was Kato? Who was Super Dave Osborne and who was Fuji? Find out on March 7th. <laughs> I don't think we found out who they are on March 7th. No, they were, they were quite evenly matched. What we did find out was... Taro came back to referee this match. Yay! Yeah, it was great. Red Shoes Kevin Lyon, yeah. <laughs> as his ref name is. This is not at all relevant to the match, and I don't know how much of that press release is true. Were they a team? Not really, no. Okay. No, they, that, was, that was just a bit. Yeah, they've always been rivals. Mm. Like yeah. That's always been their thing. You know, even in like six mans, they're always on opposite sides. Okay. Uh, Ebzan cuts a promo at the start of the match. Calling everyone homosexuals, especially if you pirate this show. Those crafty homosexuals on the, <laughs> with their torrents. <laughs> and they got streamers. Which is very nice. Yeah. yeah. I actually like, though, how he, <laughs> apart from the homosexual, um, using that as, a, as an insult, um, going on to say like how they're going to show America the greatest comedy match ever. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad he acknowledged it as that, because I actually think it is. I think these two have the greatest comedy match of all time. This it, one? No, not this particular one, but just those two as a duo. Mm. Yeah. They put on the greatest comedy match of all time. And this was them doing the hits. Yeah. In a lot of ways. 
you know, the trademark strike exchange and everything else, which I didn't even, I don't know why watching this match maybe put this together, but I, I wonder, is that where Cassidy got the inspiration for the little light tap leg kicks, you know, Orange Cassidy? Because so many things in wrestling are kind of iterative and, you know, things like that. They've done it in Chikara as well. So oh, yeah, yeah. I'd imagine he saw it then. But yeah, this really was the hits. It made me laugh like it always does. Just them, you know, doing their slow exchange and then, then just dancing and posing for the for the crowd and, and Tara trying to break them up and Tara gets hitting the balls and, and all that sort of thing. I think the key thing is I always stress this when I talk about these guys is they can wrestle. Like when they do then go on to like, they always do like the, the closing stretch, they can bust out moves and, and they can put together a nice second half of a match. Especially Carmen. Yeah. I'm, I'm still not convinced he's not someone else. Just because of how good he is, like not that it's a waste, but it seems like he could be having incredible matches as well if he did it seriously for an entire match. Yeah, um, he's so smooth. Every time he does a little flourish, it's like the most impressive, like leaping hurricane runner you've seen on the whole show. It's really great. I thought Taro was a great addition to the match. Like I've seen Kamen and Ebison matches before. Mm. I'm sure some of the crowd might have as well. So I thought introducing Taro was a nice little wrinkle to it. And I thought he held up his end of the bargain pretty well. I, I did like, I think the crowd, they were either told or must have been familiar with these guys. Because at the start they did the, like, the Ebison, mm. Ebison, and then Kushibo. And then they did the chant for Taro. Because that's something that happens at the start of every single one of their matches. That they always chant for everyone and then they chant for the ref. And then the ref like poses as well. So it, it was a nice little thing. Like this crowd know what they're doing and they got into it straight away and they just got into it for what it was. It was definitely the most receptive they've been to a fly-in. It's a hard one to talk about. Yeah. Because you can't really do it justice ourselves. Explaining a joke always ruins it. Yeah. But it was very funny. It was. It was really, really fun. I think the good thing is... If you've seen an Hefasad Kushibokaman match before, you've seen this one. So, you know, if you're familiar with them, you kind of know what we're talking about and how funny they are. So there's a sequence which leads to the finish where Kamen goes behind Ebison. Um, he kicks his foot out, foot out, kicks him in the balls. Then Kamen goes around Ebison, does the same. Then Ebison goes to do it again but Taro tries to break them up and he also gets kicked <laughs> in the nuts so the three of them are all on the ground Ebison gets up first hits his version of the Cancun Tornado goes to pin Kamen one two Taro's balls give out <laughs> and he falls to the ground Ebison gets annoyed by this tries to shake Taro back to consciousness then Kamen hits him with some move that I can't remember what it was and then goes up top, hits Cancun Tornado, and pins him one, two, three. Ebson is incensed by this and calls Taro the greatest homosexual. <laughs> Which, I guess that was an insult back then. Yeah, it's... Ebson never wins. And it's fantastic. It's it's just conducive to this thing. Like, in their rivalry, like, Ebison would come out first and get loads of crowd reaction and people would cheer for him. But then... Kamen just completely overshadows him with a more extravagant entrance and, and gets even more adoration from the crowd and Evasan's always just left there like like left me like hard done by. And like that was that was the perfect finish I think for this match. And a good length too. Nine minutes for this is enough. You don't want you don't want to have a twenty minute match of this. Perfect length for a nice comedy match. 
Yeah, and they got a great reception afterwards as well. Then yeah, it was nice to see something so different be so well received. It was that was cool compared to like the opener, where the crowds didn't know what to make of it and just weren't into it, and it was different from what they usually like, and so they didn't they didn't buy it. And it's one of those matches as well that I think you could put it on anywhere, and it's always going to get that reception. Sarah, <laughs> you have a healthy tan. You look like you've been away. <laughs> oh well, thank you, Zig. I was. This uh, podcast wanted me to go to Japan um, for a two-week excursion. You know, there's so much talk of New Japan Dojo that I, I need to go see it for myself. I got lost on the way and ended up in an Osaka-style wrestling show. The first ever foreigner there, along with my pal. And guess who was on the card? Um, Brad Bradley. But that's exactly who I was going to say. <laughs> Fuck you! Uh, unfortunately... Brad Bradley couldn't make it, so he was replaced by Kushibo Kaban. He actually just returned the night before from injury, so it was nice to see him around. And the, the show that I was on wasn't a typical show, as in it was like a, a produce show by a Miracle Man, who was very funny. I didn't really know what was going on, guys, I'm not going to lie. Everything was in Japanese, and they were all <laughs> laughing at everything. And I was like... <laughs> you were joining in. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is good. <laughs> What's um, that miracle man yeah. like? <laughs> oh, look at him coming out. But before the show started, obviously, I, I, like, me and my friends stood out. We're not Japanese. Uh, we were the only foreigners there. And the referee, and also he was kind of introducing the show, he kind of did, like, the spiel, you know, just talking about everyone and kind of kicking the show off hmm. like you would have in most most promotions and everything's in Japanese I'm just like yeah cool whatever and then like, he turns and looks and it's kind of like oh uh, hello <laughs> 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 and he's like how did you find out about this show and I was like oh you know uh, social media because I was like I'm going to make this as easy as possible I'm not going to give them my life story and he's like oh okay this show chaos if you don't like it no refunds <laughs> and I was like that that's fair enough and I think everyone's kind of like what are they doing here how like it's so this random room in the middle of Tokyo like the G1 B block finals are on the same day and we end up in this small little room in Tokyo that's nowhere near anything that you'd usually go to but in the first match Kushibo Kawan comes out as his robot character so obviously I've I've lost at that point and he's, you know, throwing the sweets out into the crowd and people are giving him sweets around his neck. And from then on it was just the best show ever. A lot of comedy but like talking. So I didn't really know what was going right. on, but I laughed anyway because everyone else like there's people crying, laughing, and I'm like, this has to be funny. So I'm just kinda laughing at them. Ricky Fuji was on the card, so I'm a big Ricky Fuji fan, purely from the, you know, the J-Cup in 94. You know, looking as Ricky Fuji as ever with his with his blonde hair and tights. Got to see his arse, which I wasn't really happy <laughs> with. It looked quite old and wrinkly. No refunds. No <laughs> refunds, yeah. At that point, I was like, oh. But then, at the end of the show, Kamen kind of came out in his normal character just at the end. They had, like, a rumble. And then, after the show, I got to got to meet Kushinibu Kamen. I build myself up for these moments that I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell how much of a fan I am, that I came to this show just to see him, that he's like one of my favourite wrestlers ever. But then I got too scared and I was just like, hi, <laughs> um, can I have a picture? <laughs> like, thank you so much. Bottled it. But it was so cool to get to see him. And I think they're really appreciative that we went and enjoyed the show and that style especially over the weekend that it was being the, the G1 Climax finals 
Being um, the first ever foreigners. Being the first ever foreigners. I'm going to put that on my CV. <laughs> it was a great experience. I know it probably doesn't sound that interesting, but those shows have made tape now, so... Oh, do they? Yeah, okay, okay. I'm sure you can, if you... See if we can pick you out from the ground. Yeah, you'll see the back <laughs> of my head. Look, the ref could. Yeah. <laughs> you'll see the back of my head, just laughing away. Just being like, what is, what is this? Osaka style wrestling, if you're in Japan, you should go see it. Especially if Ebisan's against Kushin Bukaman. Because that match is quite important to you, isn't it? It is. It's one of those things that, you know, wrestling's one of those special things. If you're ever feeling down, everyone has that match to kind of go to. Yeah. And that's my one, because it always lifts my spirits. And comedy wrestling is one of my favourite styles when it's done right. If it's bad, like, I fucking hate it. But good comedy wrestling done right. And that's it. That's perfect. How is the comedy wrestling for your non-wrestling friends? It's always the first one that you try and show them. When you try to get people to understand now, you just don't care. You're like, yeah, I know it's fake. Thank yeah, you. Okay. I was wrestling. Yeah, thanks. Another one for me was always uh, Kikutaro and Cabana mm. and Delirious. That, that was a series that I went to a lot and showed a lot of people in Ring of Honor. It was in Ring of Honor. I didn't show people <laughs> yeah. in Ring of Honor. We're just sending tapes. Yeah, yeah. Adam Cole, I'm going to teach you how to work, son. Watch this. <laughs> Thank you for yeah. telling us that tale, Sarah. I hope it was somewhat interesting. It was. Yeah. Um, and I like that it tied into the show with the timing. Couldn't have been better. Thank you for giving me money to go. That was a nice little break from proceedings because yeah. we're about to jump into the, the longest match. So our main event is the Gorilla Games Elimination Match. Super Dragon, Disco Machine, Excalibur, Joey Ryan and Scott Lost, the PWG 5, versus Top Gun Talwar, Scorpio Sky, Quicksilver, Chris Bosch and Charles Mercury. The paint that is hatred, which is sprayed and speckled all over the canvas that is PWG, has barely had time to dry when another bucket of hateful paint will be thrown carelessly in the direction of the PWG canvas. No, fans, this is not a bit by painter-auteur Andy Warhol. This is, in fact, the biggest rivalry PWG has ever seen. Much like a great painting, there are many subtle elements to this Gorilla Games elimination match, so subtle that only the trained eye can see them. To some, this may appear to be simply a fight between ye old-timers and the youngsters, the vets against the rookies, painted easily with broad strokes. To others... The individual feuds and agendas make up the finer details. The finer details of the biggest metaphorical painting the fans have metaphorically seen. Whatever the case may be, this match will end with one team, and one team only is the clear winner, with the canvas painted in the loser's blood. See, that's tricky, because I could mean the canvas of the ring, or the canvas of the painting I referred to earlier. There's only one way to find out what I really meant. That's our main event of the evening. Bosch comes out at the start to run down his opponents Super Pussy Dick Machine and did he call Excalibur the Exxon Valdez? I thought he said X out of here I thought he said wow we got three different I thought he said Excalibird I thought he said exiled or something I don't know yeah I thought it was like exiled out of here yeah. okay maybe because that was he it. was kicked out of Rev Pro I guess yes that's yeah that's most likely what did you think he was? The Exxon Valdez, that fucking ship that crashed and like <laughs> put loads of oil on the penguins. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the one. Oh. Well, that's why I was, I was like, the penguins are the Rev Pro boys. 
and the oil is his super tight his legs. All right, you leave the press releases too. <laughs> Bosch was wearing blue and black. Another one in blue and black. There's four people <laughs> in blue and black today. They all went to the gear makers together. Yeah. I have to say it was his best gear because his gear up until then has been absolutely atrocious. This one was fine. I think this is gear he then uses yeah. for like the rest of his career. I also think he trimmed down a little bit, which I don't think he got any credit for on commentary, oh, which is unfa- he... unfair. What? He just called... Oh, actually, Excalibur wasn't on commentary. Yeah, that was weird. So it was clearly recorded at a different time, that commentary. Yeah. Well, they th- he had to catch up his flight back to Philly. Did they say that? Yeah. They talked about him being on a plane right now. He had to... Okay. So okay. subbing in for Excalibur for the main event is a very inebriated taro. Red shoes, Kevin Lyons. I like the opening of the match where both Joey Ryan and Super Dragon want to start the match Yeah, um, yeah. And they both enter at the same time it was a really cool visual and they both got annoyed at each other and started showing each other so Scott Loss just came in and started the match instead saving the day as always what did we all as a whole think of this match before we kind of get into the nitty gritty because it just seemed very strange to me this match like it just paced bizarrely I think when people talk about the shitty pacing of epics where you just go too slow to pad it out and then you can do your crazy near falls and stuff in the second half and you can say you had a 40 minute war I think this is like the best example of that because there was nothing there was nothing action wise in the first half of any note and then also there wasn't any there wasn't any shock early eliminations or anything it's like it took ages to properly get going but I liked it once it got going yeah I also forgot the rules of the match so when Super Dragon took out Talwar, and it was really cool, he pinned him with his knee right on his neck, and he pinned him, and I was like, great match, that's the end. <laughs> no, that's the first elimination. Also, the way Talwar was eliminated made it seem that way, yeah. because he took everyone's finisher, yeah. they got eliminated, yeah. it really seemed finite. <laughs> but yeah, as for the match, uh, same as Barry, first 20 minutes, nothing happened, but I really liked the closing stretch. Yeah, like, I think what they could have done is, like, Talwar turning his back on his friends, joining this other team. If they're going, if he's going to be the first eliminated, have that surprise. Yeah. You know, getting him just out of the match like six or seven minutes in, because he didn't really add that much. Um, but that just would have had the whole better dynamic. It's like you're the one. Like whatever about these, you know, little shit like shitheads who are trying to take over. You're meant to be our friend. Like you were part of the, the PWG six. Hmm. And you're with them now. Get him out of the match. And like, you picked the wrong side, buddy. Charles Mercury in a main event, though, took an absolute beating. Got yes. shit kicked oh, out of him. Was just thrown around by everyone. This is me possibly seeing something that wasn't there, but also like reading into something that Disco said. I feel like he was meant to tag out much earlier than he did, and he wasn't selling. Okay. Because Disco and Commentary kept saying, he should be tagged out by now, you should go for a tag. And they kept wailing on him. And he, he kicked out of two curb stomps. I really felt like he not went into business for himself, but was trying to prove himself as a tough guy or something like that. And super yeah. and went, But he was in the ring alone yeah. for a good 10 minutes. Yeah. And after, after the, the, or during, around the same time as the kick out, Super Dragon also gave him the most brutal low blow I've seen anyone give anyone. He was like, a, he just shoot, stopped on his balls like that scene in fucking uh, Baby's Day Out um, <laughs> what 
That scene in Baby's Dead where Joe Watts' face's uh, balls get set on Pesci. fire. No, no. Um, uh, the other less famous yeah. Italian Joe. Like Joe Montaigne? Joe Montaigne? Anyway, there's a scene where he hilariously gets his testicles set on fire and then someone... I love how he's defending the movie. Hilariously, might I add. Sorry, you don't get my Baby's Day out. <laughs> For the audience, that was supposed to be an impression of me, I guess. But um, anyway... Ooh. Ooh. I think the audience know exactly what it is. Sweetheart. <laughs> anyway, super drunk. Super drunk. <laughs> super drunk. <laughs> he stepped on Charles Mercury's balls, anyway, is the, is the point there in that, in that whole sequence. <laughs> I'm talking about in the match, not in the match. Anyway. Oh, great <sighs> reference there. Uh, good movie. Um, good. <laughs> Those curb stomps, though, they were vicious. Hey, don't mess with Super Drop. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. a disco on commentary. Oh, my God. I think yeah. he was about to have a panic attack. He was very giddy, wasn't he? He was very up, very energy. You know? I thought he was nervous. That he just couldn't do it without Excalibur. Well, he was the lead commentator yeah. now. Yeah, and he was... You know, taking it a bit more seriously. He was commentating. Yeah. yeah. Did get a bit bogged down. They loved talking about Super Dragon's ghetto booty, which <laughs> yeah. I very much enjoyed. I thought it was hilarious because Super Dragon hits his twisty boy to the outside, <laughs> and yeah, on commentary, Disco goes. Calls it Super Dragon's big fat ass dive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they talk about his ghetto booty for a while. Tower does great lariat, which was kind of his, and Super Dragon really sold for it, which was great because other than that, he didn't have a great match. $200 well spent. Yes. Which is the figure that Disco Machine and Taro claimed that Talwar invested in PWG at the very start <laughs> yeah. which could well be true very true yeah I mean I suppose yeah what was what would, would that have been an investment in the ring maybe possibly yeah. maybe I don't know but yeah once this match got going I thought it was pretty good like that that super dragon thing was part of like this big dive sequence where everyone did stuff Excalibur did an undertaker dive which I like just the straight up over the top rope onto the big crowd crowd weren't exactly going wild for it though that was one thing I noticed like they were quite reserved for something that's meant to be this big feud, it's just like, show a bit of passion, lads. Because, like, as much as the first half of the match, there wasn't really much going on. When it did, kind of, when they did start doing all their moves and all the sequences, like, they were, all, everyone was putting something into it and got nothing in return. Yeah, it really kicked off with Talwar being eliminated. He took all the finishers and he was out and then, like, the match sort of kicked into another gear. Didn't like when Disc Machine got eliminated and he was talking about how much like his face and his ass were like his meal ticket. <laughs> and he just kept emphasising like, I need this to live. Mercury was eliminated before him with a super fisherman buster by Disco. Mm -hmm. After Mercury hit Disco with like three Northern Lights suplex, and which he just no so <laughs> yeah. got up and hit him. <laughs> There has to be, yeah, like you said, there has to be some sort of bad blood between those two, because, yeah. Taro kept swearing on commentary. Mm. So, Disco goes, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? <laughs> I kiss your mother with that mouth. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that would have been a good line. I fucked it up. It's <laughs> 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 like, he got overexcited with the joke and he messed it up. It was so good. We've all been there. Wouldn't be us. Um, Scott Loss looked great in the match, I thought. Yeah, he was sort of the glue that held it all together. Yeah. 
Next, Bosch eliminated Excalibur with his own finisher, which Disco was incensed at on commentary, which made it three against three then. Scott lost Joey Ryan and Super Dragon against Bosch, Scorpio Sky and Quicksilver. Yeah, but kind of unusual last couple of, of eliminations. Sky got DQ'd for using a belt on Super Dragon. Which was then to set up Dragon getting eliminated because he then also hit him with a Psycho Driver and Dragon was pinned by Quicksilver, I believe. Yeah. Which, I, if you told me, if you asked me before this match who pinned Super Dragon in this match, I don't think Quicksilver would have been near the top of my list. And then Quicksilver gets eliminated instantly by X Foundation. And then not too long after that, X Foundation pinned Bosch as well, and it's just kind of over. Very weird ending. It's just weird. You have Explanation standing on top. The two sole survivors of the match. We just got a nice having the two of them. I was a bit I was a bit worried that they'll just have Joey Ryan on top, but no, Scott got to got to survive as well. But then they have Scorpio and Quicksilver challenging for the belts. Oh, no, Bosh. Bosh and Quicksilver. Bosh and Quicksilver. That was so it's bad. Like, what? No one could understand Quicksilver on the mic. No, I didn't get yeah. a word. What are you doing? Like, you just lost. But X Foundation then pointed out how ridiculous it would be for them to get a title shot, but then gave them the title shot anyway. They completely undermined them. Like, I, I don't know why you couldn't have just had the heels win, because it's not over, you know, this, so... This is like the invasion angle. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? This is WCW and ECW not getting any meaningful wins. Yeah. Like, it made no sense for the babyfaces to win this and then give matches to the heels on the next show. Yeah. Well, maybe they really are avoiding the van of pit bulls. And they're like, fine, <laughs> fine. Yep, go ahead. We, we've gotten to the bottom of this. That's, that's a very good point. We've, we've solved this 15-year-old mystery. It's good to see the young tag team standing tall at the end, though. It was strange, but... And they do seem yeah. to be really going with them now. Like obviously they won the belts the last show, Survivors this time out. Like they're really trying to push them as their tag aces. Yep. It does make you wonder, it's like why didn't they just win Dango and Cash? I'll still I'll never it's understand. Never like, why didn't yeah. they just yeah. win? Yeah. Like I get like I I just can't think at this time where like B Boy and Homicide like was Homicide that big of a name? That they're like, oh, Probably let's is. put the belt on him. But there's other bigger names. On, I don't know. It feels, know. It, it does feel very show to show, some of the booking on this, because there are anomalies like that and that you can't really quite wrap your head around. It doesn't seem like there's a massive amount of... They have general ideas about who their guys are, but beyond that, it doesn't seem like they have directions long-term. We had something quite unique after that. We had a post-show promo. Well, not unique because it was a post-show promo, but for the first time ever on this podcast, I have to say... Scott Lost was quite terrible in this post-match promo. Didn't cover himself in glory. I thought Joey was awful. Oh, Joey was terrible yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. But I think Tony totally accepted that. We accepted that, yeah. <laughs> but Scott looked really cute. <laughs> <laughs> Seconded. <laughs> Just two nervous little indie boys doing a conquering babyface promo when it wasn't very good. This is going to sound strange, but Dan knows when Joey was speaking that he sounds completely different to Joey now. It feels like between then and now, he's broken his nose so many times. He doesn't sound as nasally or yeah. as kind of... He has yeah. a very distinct voice now. You, yeah. can, you can pick him out. But it's, yeah. it, to me, he always now sounds like he needs to blow his nose. <laughs> Sorry, Joey. But he was just so much clearer back yeah. then. But this is also the first time like I sort of, this is stupid, but like saw Joey Ryan's face. 
Okay. Do you know where it's like, yeah. oh, that is Joey Ryan? Yeah. Because obviously it is, yeah. but do you know what I mean? It looks like, completely different. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when, yeah. They, when they cut to the start of this promo, I, I when you, and you just saw, they obviously were on a camera with a tripod, and yeah. so they were looking dead on the camera. It's like, oh, this is our first time actually getting with these guys. Because something I've noticed, you know, peek behind the curtain here, when I'm trying to get the little JPEGs for Twitter or the little show images, that's really hard to do because the camera work is dreadful on these shows and I can't catch anyone's face. I'm trying to catch, oh, they looked this direction, oh, they were wearing this outfit. The camera is shaking, it's cutting every two seconds. So this is actually a chance to get a look at these lads dead on and they did look about 15 years old each. I mean, they were so young looking. Way to make us feel weird for thinking Scott Lost looks great. I know. Well, Emma just said cute. You've gone too you've far got, You've said grace there, yeah. you know, so... I hate he's a stone cold fox. <laughs> <laughs> Second? Absolute babe. Oh, oh that's the police. <laughs> How old is he? 15, we just said. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, in their backstage promo, Lost and Ryan say that there's absolutely no way that Bosch and Silver are winning. So, I assume that means Bosch and Silver are winning because they've dismissed them so, so much. Yeah. yeah. So there's actually four backstage promos. We were spoiled. Spoiled. So the next one was Excalibur interviewing Evason, who's... Oh, we actually didn't mention this earlier. Evason's ass is flooding. And he, <laughs> yeah. and he did mention this on the mic earlier, but we forgot to say it, because he had a bad yogurt. Yeah. From 7-Eleven. Evason asks Excalibur, why water from my ass? <laughs> so English is very good. Yeah, yeah it's not bad. So Excalibur offers some burgers to try and stem the tide. And he reminds people to buy the DVD, unless you're a big homosexual. Yeah. Have it right here in my hand, boys. I want that to be the buffer at the start of all the progress shows. (laughs) Instead of their cutesy little, you wouldn't steal a car. Oh my God. You wouldn't be gay. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't suck a dick. (laughs) You wouldn't have a little something in your beard that's not your eye or shit. (laughs) The next promo is Super Dragon and Excalibur licking their wounds. Another very awkward (laughs) Excalibur promo where he says Scorpio Sky proclaims himself the realest black man in PWG. But Super Dragon is the realest black man on earth. The blackest man on earth. The blackest man on earth. He has so much soul coming out of his pores, he appears white, like Michael Jackson. And then challenges Sky on Dragon's behalf to Gorilla Warfare. This is a very famous promo. It's all over the internet. At the start of It's Always Sunny in PWG. That Mm -hmm. That famous clip. Yeah, and it adds to that lore of Super Dragon being a black man. Following that, we have... Scorpio cutting a promo in the ring as it's being taken down yeah. saying all he sees is Super Dragon his religion is to put Super Dragon out of wrestling so he accepts the challenge and that sets us up for next month where we'll have Scorpio Sky against Super Dragon in a guerrilla warfare and Bosch and Quicksilver challenging for the tag titles and maybe Baby Slim challenging for the I, I guess top contender he's had a great season thoughts on the show overall? A very easy watch, one of the easiest we've had. Yeah, I agree. The running time was just over two hours, including the post-match promos. Yeah, I, I would echo what Gus said. Easy watch, on, uh, just over two hours, which is grand. Momentum did come to a screeching halt with that main event, with, with so much time-killing early on, but other than that, solid. Solid across the board. So we put the, the call out for some questions for this episode. Well, we do every time. But we actually got responses this time and we're very excited about it. (laughs) So we got three questions here. 
So first one is from Gary on Graps. He asks, is Barry being replaced by Sonata on this episode? Unfortunately not in this episode, only in our hearts. <laughs> That's a lovely little reference to the adventure these three had without me last week. And I think it's hilarious. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh! Ah. Would you agree? To- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go around the horn here and, and take stock. Sarah, is Barry being replaced by Sonata? <laughs> I want to concur that he's been replaced in our hearts by Sonata. Wow. Emma, what say you? Um, so right now, yes, Sonata has replaced, but knowing how fickle we all are, by the time this comes out, Sonata's going to have had some bad matches. <laughs> that next 40 minute match. Yeah. 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 So. The thing about Barry is he's always quick. TBD. Next question. <laughs> Our next question is from Blu-ray Mysterio. Are Ebisan slash Kikotaro and Kushinbo Kamen great rivals or the greatest rivals? Sarah. <laughs> They're the greatest rivals because how many matches have they had together? Like 500 at this point. I don't think anyone can match that. That's it. Concise. Yep, I agree. And our final question comes from Benny Owens. If you had a DeLorean and could take any wrestler from 2019 back with you to face anyone on this card, who would it be? I love this question. It was, it's a great question. Best yeah. question. Hmm. Yeah. Someone comes straight to mind. In order to get the best possible match, the person I'm going to pick from the card to face is Brian Danielson, of course. But also, you need someone who's well-versed in time travel so that they can survive the journey to go back. And so it's going to have to be Kenny Williams. I mean, what a call. It's going to have to be Kenny Williams. He is the time-traveling wrestler. Fuck off. What's your answer? That's why you're replaced. Sonata wouldn't pull that shit. Get him on this card. He can fucking have a shite match with Super Dragon. Well, my, I think, pick would be very obvious. I would have Super Dragon today. Or, no, Super Dragon then. Against Oni Lorcan. Yes. Good pick. So I went with something different that most probably wouldn't think of, but I'm going to pick Bobby Quantz and I'm going to bring back with me Zack Cyber Jr. Because I think they could do some incredible stuff together. So for my one, I sort of misread the question <laughs> and I didn't realise it had to be one match. Um, I thought you just put them on the roster. Uh. So I would have chosen. I think he would have suited the style of this time and he would have stood out still and he'd have been good for the younger guys to work to work with as well. I would have brought back today's Eddie Kingston. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think he'd have a good rivalry with Super Dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess that would be my one-on-one match. But I'd also like to see him beat the shit out of Joey Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> so one of those two. Yeah. Good pick. I had another one. Oh, okay. <laughs> if that's allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Havana Pitbulls versus The Revival. Oh, oh, that'd be very good. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. That. that would be fun. Yeah. Or um, X Foundation versus The Revival, I think, would also be good. Yeah, I think that would be better. Yeah, maybe. Actually. Yeah. Because um, I think, yeah, Joey Ryan has, is a great seller yeah. back then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think he'd be good in that role, yeah. So thank you for those questions. I hope you enjoyed our answers as much as we enjoyed answering them. And we'll be back with you next month for Key the E out of our Ool. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, our Twitter is at Gorilla Island. Our email is gorillaisland at gmail.com. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify or iTunes. 
And my personal Twitter is at Zig on the Rocks. I'm at the Barry Led. I'm at O underscore energy. At Sarah Flan. So we'll catch you next time. Bye. 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 I love you.